Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. All right, everybody, welcome back to the No Bad Dogs podcast with me, Tom Davis. First of all, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for you guys listening to this podcast. It, it, it's, a, it's an amazing community that we are continuing to grow. And like I said on socials and other places, I'm, I'm really excited about about this podcast. It's, it's, it's really taken off and you guys are enjoying it. And most importantly, it's helping you and your dogs out at home, which means the world to me. That's why I do what I do. Uh, don't forget at the end of this podcast, I'm going to be answering your listeners, you guys, you, the listeners, your actual dog training questions. So if you have specific dog training questions, all you have to do is head over to the iTunes review chart and leave your review, and I'll answer them on the next podcast. And if you guys want, again, of course, there's there's this extended cut of extra questions and more information for you guys to hopefully help you and your dog out at home. And just an FYI, all the links for everything that I offer are in the description below. So my online consulting service, my merchandise, the new collaboration I did with uh, Crew Coffee that we're raising money for for charities across the country. You can get all that stuff in the links below. But this podcast is something I wanted to do because it's a frequently asked question across the members club and a lot of my socials. This is something that I think a lot of dog owners are dealing with and I wanted to put it together in podcast form, breaking down why these things happen. And also the things that you guys can start on today to help your dog out at home. All right, so let's just dive into it, guys. When your dog is reactive to people at the front door, so Amazon, friends, family, uh, whatever, pizza delivery guy, somebody's at your front door, somebody's on your property, your dog reacts. Whether it's good, bad, or ugly, doesn't matter. This is a very stressful thing for not only the people coming in, you, your family, and the dog because it's all very unnecessary. So Lakota's actually been doing funny, interesting new stuff. We have all sorts of different security systems in my house, and some of them make certain noises. So she's smart enough, and she's caught on, and she's been conditioned to know what audible things mean what. Like what window is opening, what door is opening. It's pretty incredible how dogs can condition. Now, first and foremost, like conditioning, that's what's happening, right? Door reactivity or uh, what entry reactivity, whatever we want to coin it or, or call it. It's essentially a conditioning response. It's a conditioned response, I should say. So when somebody comes to the front door, rings the bell, the dog is then conditioned to know that you are then going to respond to that bell. So if the dog has never seen, heard at all the bell or the knock or the person at the front door, they would never associate the two. It's like when you never give your dog people food, they typically don't beg. And I've done that experiment with Lakota the first couple of years of her life. As I said, let's never give her anything, any people food, no scraps, um, ever. Like just never, right? And we do now, like if we're chopping up chicken or whatever. Like I gave her a sweet potato the other day, whatever. She doesn't care. But, and I don't care either. You know, she, she doesn't beg. Uh, so it's, it's all good. But we, we basically didn't feed her from the table at all. No scraps. And she never begged. She never looked at us for food because she didn't know what it was. The moment that, because the dog doesn't know the concept and even the, they don't even understand that what you're making for yourself is food and that they can have a piece of it until they do. 
And that's where you start to see begging. That's where you start to see the dog sitting there at the kitchen table, licking their lips. It's all conditioned stuff. That's how animals learn. It's conditioning. It's how people learn conditioning, right? That's how we learn certain things. There's, there's, there's a smell and we're like, oh, this is that. Like, oh, it smells like this. Okay. I smell smoke. Must be a fire. I smell, I don't know, something cooking. There's chicken, whatever, whatever it is. Can you, t- can you guys tell I'm hungry? Uh, shout out to my assistant, Elena, who's out there getting me lunch right now. Uh, I'm on, I'm on dad duty today. Banks, if you hear Banks in the background, maybe crying a little bit, he's going down for a nap. But uh, anyway, dad life is fun. So conditioning. So that's what happens. Somebody rings the bell. The dog has no idea what it is. Doesn't care really what it is. But as soon as you start answering the door and the dog catches on that the bell then represents X, like smoke represents fire, that's what happens. And so some dogs are, are, are maybe protective. Some dogs are maybe suspicious. Some dogs are bored and they're like, yay, somebody's here. I'm going to bark. Some dogs get excited. Some dogs, it's just an overstimulation. And depending on the dog's breed and behavior and age, it's going to outlet differently and it's going to mean something differently in particular to, to the dog. So obedience is number one. That is the absolute number one thing that you guys will need to be successful with this because this is a very involuntary response, involuntary conditioned response. Ding dong, bar, 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 bar. knock, 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 bar, 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 bar. That means like, hey, I'm alerting, somebody's here, uh, I'm a dog, I protect the herd, I, I protect, um, I'm frightened, I'm scared, I'm stimulated, I'm excited, I'm spooked, I'm suspicious, all these things kind of happen and, the, and it rolls into one. And so we're not trying to get the dog to never react, to never be suspicious, to never bark, to never huff and puff, to never even be curious at what's at the door. What we're trying to do is we're trying to use our obedience to dismantle uh, life, right? So it's the same thing with parenting. And as I'm learning each and every day, and I've been talking about parenting for a long time now, even before I've, I had my, ch- my, my son, but it's just, it's just literally the same exact thing is we teach kids be uh, manners, right? So we please, thank you, hold my hand. Uh, ask for permission, etc. Like all these things, because we want them to behave in public. We want them to be able to fit into our lives. If we didn't, te- it'd be like Bam Bam from Flintstones running around. If we didn't teach our kids, which is our jobs as parents, how to behave, then they wouldn't know. Period. So it's the same thing with dogs. Is we're, but but with kids, I should say, the context is we teach them all of these behaviors. We teach them manners. We teach them all of these things to coexist and fit into our lives as perfect as we can or as realistic as we can. And so with dogs, it's the same thing. We are literally teaching them place means go lay down because I need, this is, this is when that means, um, sit means this stay means this, all these things that we teach dogs is not to just, you know, post on Instagram and, and, and be cued and, and do party tricks and things like that. It's actually going to be applied and it's going to be, uh, copy and pasted into our lives because, if dogs were well-trained and they never misbehave, we would never need obedience generally, right? So if dogs never barked, they never pulled on the leash, they never went crazy at the door, they never tried to bite somebody, they never jumped on somebody. If that never happened, we wouldn't train. The reason, so, so break that down even more. Okay, then why do we train? We train because all these things do happen. We have an animal that we're trying to congeal and put into our lives as humans, 
every animal is going to be different and how they act and what they want to do instinctually. And then also every family and environment that they're, that they're coming up in is going to be significantly different. The homeless guy in the corner that's living with his dogs in a cardboard box, uh, is going to, that dog is going to be raised significantly and polarly different than a dog, maybe, you know, living in a home with a family, right? One isn't better than the other, especially for the dog. They could care less, to be honest. But it is going to be different. So obedience is number one. Making sure that you guys are able to control your dog is the most important thing. And I'll be honest and frank with you guys. If you don't have control, this is going to be nearly impossible for you guys to to manage sustainably off-leash with just, you know, being able to tell your dog to do something. So some obedience that's going to be really helpful, like for me, again, Lakota will get, like, I don't want you guys to think that your dogs can't be dogs. I think that that's where some people have really frustrated relationships with their dogs is they think that their dog has to be a robot. And when we teach them certain things that they always have to do this. And that's not true. Again, think about manners. Like we, like I'm going to teach Banks when he's old enough. We say, please, we say, thank you. We ask for permission all these things. But that doesn't mean that he's walking around like, can I, can I have a sip of my drink? Can I breathe? Can I blink? Can I sit on this couch? Can I play with my toys? It's, it's teaching the teaching, same thing with teaching dogs manners and thresholds is we want them to be dogs and whatever. It's when we put them into situations, when you say their name and you say, Hey, for an example, Lakota, like if somebody comes to the front door, she's going to be excited. She's going to be excited to see them. Um, we have a lot of people in and out of our house all the time. So she's excited to see them. She gets to know these people. And so there's times where I just let her go and she whacks her tail and she's excited, but she's not barking. She's not jumping. She's just being a dog. So I'm not going to suppress that behavior. I could, and it wouldn't be a bad thing. It's just, if you come into my house, expect to be greeted by a dog. <laughs> That's just how it goes here. But you have to have the control. So before you guys tackle this or before you can even consider tackling this, you have to have some sort of reinforcing know-hows and, and to-dos. Like if your dog is, is ding-dong, Amazon driver's here, he wants to have a conversation, he wants to drop something off and you need to sign it, your dog is instinctually going to be excited about that person. They can hear this person, they can smell this person. They also were triggered potentially by the doorbell or your alarm system or the knocking on the door. And so it's not to have the dog to be disassociated with these people and not care at all. I don't think that's realistic, but you need to have the, the, the advanced obedience to be able to send your dog to a place command off leash and then work on that stay. Now, in the meantime, if you guys don't have that obedience and that's something that you guys can all find in my Kickstarter course, which is why I make it made it to refer you guys to content that you can, you know, get things done. Um, my Kickstarter course goes over the, the place and the stay, but when you're working with a particular dog and they're not, they don't have the training yet, they don't have the fundamentals, maybe you just got this dog, um, whatever, then you have to have realistic expectations. There's going to be situations where you're just going to abandon and abort the mission because it's not, you're not going to be successful and you don't have enough time inefficiency in, in reality to, to do this, right? So somebody comes to the door, you just got this new dog. They're like, Hey, somebody's here. Maybe you adopted or fostered a dog or it's a friend's dog or whatever. 
but you're like, man, this dog just freaks out when people come over. This is insane. This is crazy. And so by putting the dog on a leash in those circumstances and making their world smaller, you can start to implement a uh, you know, basic foundation to make sure that they don't jump, they don't lunge, they don't bark, etc. But there's also going to be also times where you don't have any foundation, you have no accountability, you have no leash, you have no control. That's when you just you take the package and you ignore the situation. And coming from a professional, I'm just being real with you guys. Like sometimes that definitely isn't failure. It's not failure because you're not even trying. So you can't really fail at something you don't even try in the first place. But I always like to tell people that no training is better than bad training. So if you're not cut out for that and you're just not ready to tackle that, that, uh, challenge, I guess, or that training scenario, don't do it. And it's okay not to do it. It's, it's better. Like I would much rather have my clients work with their dog. Like think about this. Say you're, you're like, I just got this dog or I'm working with this dog and I'm going to teach place and I'm going to teach the send away place. And I'm going to teach the downstay with the three D's distance, distraction, and duration. These are things that you're going to do. And somebody comes to the front door and then you're, you're yelling chaos to the dog. So you're, so a, you're making things worse and you're amplifying the reaction because the dog's like, Oh yeah, this is, this is, this is stress. This is chaos. I'm going to chew on this. Right. But then also you're telling the dog to do things that you can't enforce and that you don't really mean and you don't have time to actually enforce it and hold the dog accountable if they don't do it. So there's there's a lot that goes on in these scenarios that can make things a lot worse. And it's okay to also just you know take it for a spade a spade like, hey, we're not ready for this. We're not set up for this. You know, You don't have to apologize to anybody. Just be like, we haven't trained for this. But again... If you're like, hey, go to your place, go to your place, go to your place, sit, 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 go on, stop. It's just Jimmy. It's just Amazon. It's just this. Like, you're digging yourself a hole. Don't do any of those things. Again, it's better to just be silent and handle it when you're ready. And uh, and it's it's also not a, a loss if you do that as well. I think that that's totally normal for a lot of dog owners out there that you're not prepared and you haven't done the training successfully to whatever. And there's a dog running in this field behind my house. I don't know what they're doing. Looks like a pretty Australian shepherd though. Anyway, so again, what you're going to do is if your dog, first of all, I, I believe that the majority of dogs out there will develop this behavior if they don't already have it. So if you have a puppy, you're getting a puppy or you're into training or whatever, or if your dog's starting this, or if your dog does this already, uh, one thing that you have to do again is you have to make sure that you're practicing all of this stuff so when I say stuff, you're practicing what you're, tr- you're going to apply or what you want to apply when the real game happens. So when somebody comes to that door, think about what you want. I want the dog to go to an isolated area, a targeted area, a place, a bed, and I want them to stay or downstay. So you have to remember, you have to incrementally work on those things in increments. So you have to first teach the dog place at a very low distraction or minimal distractions or zero distractions, no other dogs around, no other people, low distracted environment inside, leash, treats, placemat. Tell your dog to go to their place. You pay them for that. Uh, I'm just going to give you the outline, guys. I, you know, I've, t- I've talked about place command. I have all sorts of different videos on that, but that's the first thing you got to do. And there's there's three levels in the court. And I just, by the way, I just finished the the dog uh, 
so we're doing an interactive. This is the first time you'll be able to work with me really in real time with classes and one-on-one stuff. So we have a consulting service that we do that all the time. That's how you guys hear the other podcast, but it's just a one and done. Now we are creating a actual program where you guys are going to be working with me for an entire month. I'm going to be reviewing all the footage that you're doing with your dogs. We're going to meet twice a week. You're going to get curriculum. You're going to get video curriculum, but I just wrote the curriculum and it's done and I'm excited about it. Of course, I'll tell you guys when it's ready to launch. But in the curriculum, we talk about three different levels of obedience, or I'm sorry, environments. Environment one, environment two, environment three. Environment one is simply no distractions. That's the first place you should start every single behavior that is new, period. Environment two is medium distraction. Environment three is outside. So when you're teaching, the place has to be environment one. Teaching the dog, no distractions. And then outside of the place, then you start working on the place, then stay. And you start bridging things together. So you're going to be working on the stay separately. Place, break. Place, break. You have to make the command or behavior to the place separate from the stay. Okay? Because sending the dog to the place is an is a separate thing from the stay. It, yes, it's an implied thing in, in the future, but just work on the place first and then break. And then place and then break. And then place and then break. Okay? couple days doing that and then you're gonna be working on the stay and again you're gonna be implementing the three d's distance distraction and duration um you'll be working on that separately okay and then once you guys figure that out you'll then be trialing for reality once you're at level three and your dog will go to the place from 30 feet away realistically so you have to realistically paint this picture where's the place where's your door can your dog go to the place from the door and if the answer is no you're going to have to work on that until you master it before you ask your dog to do it when somebody's at the door. And then what you start to do is you start blending in reality, okay? You know when your partner's coming home, you know when your kids are coming over, uh, you, ask your, you ask your family member to go around outside, start knocking on the door, you start practicing. But you're going to go back down to, you're going to go, you're going to go back down to level environment one training with dogs on a leash, got your treat pouch, Somebody knocks on the door, go to your place, and you start to integrate in, copy and paste your actual behaviors, okay? So this is this is blending in basic obedience into advanced realistic obedience. This has been sustainable for my clients all over the world. This is very important. So you don't want to get to the end of environment three and distraction three and then immediately go into ding dong. What you want to do is get to the end of that threshold and that roof and that cap but then put your dog on level one obedience and equipment and standards back on the leash, you know, closer to the place command. We're not sending the dog away from a really far distance. And then you, and then you ding dong and then you knock and then you build it back out. So once you get to that cap of a non-realistic thing, level three, great. You've built that foundation. Go back to level one standards, but then start building up your environmentals and real reality. Okay. So those are the things that you have to do. Uh, and again, I think it's important for you guys to, to have that place and that stay and then even that leave it to disengage too. But th- again, this is something I see a lot of dog owners struggle with. They want to stop their dog from barking at the person. They want to stop their dog from lunging at the door. They want to stop their dog from barking at people outside. Y- you may never be able to get your dog to stop doing these things, but I think it perpetuates and it's kind of getting throwing gas on a fire when a dog starts barking, you have zero to no control. You start hollering at the dog and they're hollering at the person. 
So wherever the head goes and the body goes, the mind typically will follow unless they can hear something. That's a different story. But if your dog sees somebody at the front, they go, whoa, whoa, whoa. hey, Fido, go to your place. It'll, it'll decompress their mental stimulation. Whatever they're barking at is whatever they're seeing. If they can't see it, the less likely they are to react. Again, somebody comes to the front door. Your dog goes crazy. Doesn't matter at what end of the spectrum. Got to be able to send your dog away to a place. That's like, that is like your absolute mandated uh, thing that you should be able to do with your dog. You're going to have somebody come over. Like we have a cleaning company that comes every other whatever, right? And they come in and like Lakota for it because they have equipment and all this stuff. And she just like, she's like, she freaks out. Like, I don't expect these people to train my dog. I don't expect these people to be okay with my dog huffing and puffing. Like what I do is I say, go to your place and downstay and then I'll put her outside, but I can control her under those circumstances. And that's what you guys need to, to really focus on. And remember, if you're not at the level where you can send your dog away and get them to calm down, you can put your dog back on a leash and work on this in a, in a smaller level. So tons of positive reinforcement, get that treat bag out, get that toy out, go to the front door, Say, hey, Jimmy, go ring the doorbell, wait 30 seconds, ring it again, wait 30 seconds, knock, wait 30 seconds, knock, just keep, just keep redoing this. And you're going to work on desensitizing. So the other thing that you can do is desensitize some of this stuff. Now, to be honest with you guys, I want to give you the most realistic approach as possible. I don't want to give you like something that in theory would sound really great to work because oftentimes it actually doesn't. You have to just be able to handle this stuff right when it happens. And we could recondition. The doorbell means this. The um, doorbell means go to your place. I mean, you could do all those things, but once the person starts talking and the person comes into the house and you're engaging, all these things change. So I try to train and I give my, that's why I started calling myself like a lifestyle dog trainer or lifestyle dog expert or whatever the hell you want to call me. And I want you guys to just be, you know, real with this stuff. Um, but again, another thing that you can really have fun with doing is you can start to condition that whatever the stimulation is that your dog reacts to barking, or I'm sorry, uh, ringing the doorbell, knocking on the door, coming up to the door, you guys can practice this at home. And just like the doorbell means somebody's out front, you can condition the doorbell means that the dog gets paid. And so when they hear the doorbell, they may come running to you and then get paid for that. But that takes sometimes an unrealistic amount of time and an unrealistic amount of training scenarios for most people out there that have two or three jobs, two or three kids, they're running around crazy. They don't have time for that. They need to be able to focus on the reality of control. So you could do it a fun mixture way, but again, even if you did have time for that, there's also going to be some breeds that are like, nah, dog, there's somebody out front. And you're ringing the doorbell like, no, come back and get paid. And you got this Rottweiler that's sitting there like, there's somebody here. Screw your treats. I don't care. Right? You get this borble sitting there like growling at people and you're like, oh shit, this isn't working. Right? And, and, and I just try to play devil's advocate and give you guys like, hey, you could try this, but chances are it's not going to work for the majority of dogs out there that are reactive anyway. So controlling your dog with obedience is, is the best way to help with door reactivity. Um, you could, like I said, you could do a lot of conditioning or paying your dog when they make better decisions. That's part of it for sure. But I think the majority of people don't necessarily have problems with their, I think it really comes down to somebody at the front door and their dog loses their mind. And they're like, what do we do? They grab the collar, 
They talk, they pull the dog back, the dog's barking, the dog's jumping. It's a freaking nightmare. What you guys have to do is incrementally teach your dog to go to a location on command and stay there no matter what. No matter if a circus comes through, no matter what happens, your dog should stay at that place and that cot until you release the dog. Um, and now if you get some of the barking and some of the, you know, residual, like ruff, 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 like those are things you kind of like let, let them go under and they should pass. But then you can also apply a leave it as well to kind of holler at your dog. Hey, knock it off, leave it enough. Just let them know like, Hey, disengage, relax. I got this. And that's been really helpful for a lot of my clients. So it's not only my opinion, but I've done it myself. I've done it with a lot of my clients and it works out really nice. But again, I want you guys to understand fundamentally when you're looking at this situation, you're taking a very, very, very advanced ask of your dog without literally any training at all whatsoever. And we're scratching our head and frustrated that things aren't going the way that we want it to go. And you need to, you need to understand that from somebody like myself, studying dogs all day long and how they act and how to basically trans, trans, translate it to dog owners is you want your dog to do a level three out of three and you don't even know how to do level one yet. So, ding dong. Hey, Jimmy, it's me. And you're like, hey, stop doing that. And they're like, are you kidding me? This is crazy. I am so reactive right now. Somebody's here. Somebody knows that we live here. Somebody's knocking at the door. Somebody's got a package. Somebody's being obnoxious. This is a very hard ask. So just make sure that you guys aren't... I think people have very unrealistic frustrations with their dogs. Because it's not fair. I should say unfair, not unrealistic. It's not fair. You know, they're like, oh, I mean, my dog's such a pain in the butt. Why, why does this always happen? I don't understand. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, this is what dogs do, especially if they're not getting a lot of mental stimulation. Somebody rings that doorbell and they're like, finally, I can clock in today. Give me something to do. So anyway, I think, I think that's a big part of it. Big part of it. Now, those are the main steps, guys. Those are the things that are really going to help you guys. That's basically the first thing you're going to do if you're struggling with this and you're having a hard time with this. <clears throat> I'm going to go over a couple of different variables as well. And the other the other thing that I think is in the same pool, if you will, but it is a little bit different to handle is going to be stranger reactions outside. So when your dog is inside and they see somebody outside and they're re- – oops, my tea – is reacting that is a little bit different because that can be really habitual and it can be very obsessive and it could be obviously very annoying that literally anything outside that your dog sees your dog barks so when you're dealing with this at the door it's when only somebody comes knocks on the doors rings the doorbell etc but what happens when your dog is literally just reactive to any anything outside People walking by, dogs, squirrels, chipmunks, kids, whatever. First thing I will say is that is likely going to be your dog bored. So if your dog isn't getting enough stimulation, if your dog isn't getting enough exercise, if your dog isn't getting enough outlets of things to do, your dog is bored. Same same thing I talk about when dogs run away. I'm like, well, happy dogs typically don't run away, just like happy people don't run away. So anyway, I, I would say if you're having problems with your dog reacting to literally everything outside, then that's the first place you should be looking and really auditing is how well um, stimulated is your dog throughout the day? How much is your dog doing? So that's the first thing. If your dog is very reactive to everything outside, audit to say how much should my, how 
often am I exercising my dog mental and physical and mental stimulation, as you guys may or may not know, is just as important as physical stimulation. So making sure the dog has a job, making sure the dog has something to do, making sure that the dog is being tested. So getting that brain working, it's like sitting inside in a, with nothing going on. I mean, dogs are such intelligent working animals, right? They're, they're very complicated and in depth when it comes to what they are. They're not just something you throw in the house and say, Hey, I got the, I got a dog just like the Smiths and the Joneses next door. These are things that you should really consider. Like your dog can get bored. And again, all of this depends on breed because every single dog is going to require a different amount of mental and physical exercise. But if your dog is habitually barking inside, that's the first thing you should look at. And then past that, if you're like, no, my dog's getting pretty good socialized, a lot of this or uh, stimulated, a lot of the stuff that we talked about earlier is also going to be helpful. So your dog sees somebody outside barking. Okay. Alert barking. Let us know somebody's there. Thank you very much, buddy. Go to your place and lay down. The other thing that could be helpful is just working on a leave it. So what I, f- like once dogs get obsessed with this and dogs have habitual things and this is going to be easy for dog trainers to implement at, at clients' houses because these dogs are already loaded up and been doing this for months or years. I typically work on a very easy to follow regimen. And when I say these are the things I do, I don't. I wouldn't recommend anything to you guys that hasn't worked a hundred times over in the past. So when I'm saying like, I'm not just saying this is my opinion. This is what I'd like to think. I'm telling you every, every piece of information I'm giving you is what I've done with at least a hundred dogs over, over the 13, 14, however many years I've been doing this, whatever. So, um, one thing that's been really helpful is just working with the dog very clearly, very assertively using the basic operant condition. Yes. And no, so we, we typically will use whatever training collar you're using with the dog to communicate. It doesn't matter if it's a flat collar, prong collar, slip collar, e-collar, whatever you're using to communicate. doesn't matter. It's not as important in this conversation. You go up, the dog's going, okay, let's, let's walk a demo by. Somebody walks by, leave it, correction, so enforcement. And then as soon as the dog stops barking, we pay the dog, we reward the dog. Now, sometimes dogs, once, if a dog is locked in and a dog is completely obsessed and does not care about the food and even sometimes doesn't care about the correction, that's where, again, you're, because of the dog's state of mind and because of the road mapping of how the dog thinks, because some dogs will just say, oops, sorry, what did you say? What did I do wrong? And then the dog stops, stops barking and then you pay the dog and they're like, oh, this is what leave it is. So when the dog barks, we say, leave it. They say, no problem. Where's my food? You pay them and you can basically get away with maybe the dog barking once or twice. You say, leave it and they stop. But some dogs just don't care. That's what, again, guys, like my training, I think in my recommendation in the way that I train is curated and sculpted from experience and also from results in the past. So the way that I train has been very trial by error to figure out what is working best. It's not a 
hey, this is, th- these are my feelings. This is my agenda. It's like, no, I like way before this, I was a dog walker. And I was like, way before that, I was a dog owner. I mean, I, I'm not, you know, I, I'm just being real with you guys. I'm, I'm trying to give you guys as much realistic stuff. And so, you know, I could tell you, you get a really, let's say you get a really drivey terrier, like a pit bull or a Jack Russell or any type of terrier that's just locked in on a squirrel outside. And they're whining and they're pacing and they're nipping and they're scratching the door. All this stuff's happening. You're going, leave it, pop, leave it, pop. And they're like, yeah, what? Yeah, what? They don't care. Then what? Now this podcast is worthless to you. The training is worthless. I just wasted your valuable time. I don't want to do that. Another option, realistically, is to, again, try to figure out different ways and be creative to pull your dog out of that state of mind. So that's where you might want to work on drawback recalls. So recalling the dog with a long line. Um, and, and just again, like changing up your equipment, that's going to help you and your dog communicate better. That's the most important thing. If something isn't working, then you need to change it up. So again, basic opera condition, leave it pop enforcement, right? So leave it is like when we talk about enforcement, that's your ability to enforce something, holding the dog accountable. And so the dog barks, we say, leave it. They continue to bark. We correct. They say, Hey, you got their attention. That's what a correction is. The dog snaps out of it. You pay the dog for the behavior they're in. And now they may just kind of look at the the distraction outside. So that's the ultimate goal. And then again, using your obedience. So I, I hope that this is helpful for you guys to kind of realize why dogs do some of these things. And realistically, it's probably always going to happen if you have a dog that does it. If you have a dog that does it, that's instinctual. It was something that they're like, this is how I feel, which means it's going to be almost impossible for you to get rid of it completely. But I don't even think that that's even fair or common or likely that that's going to happen. I think you should be really working on how can I deactivate this duration of barking and how can I put a damper on the barking so it's minimal to a dull roar, if you will. And I think that that would be honestly like your best option. So those are some tips for you guys. I'd be happy to go into more depth and throw in uh, in the future. If you have any other questions pertaining to this, just go over to the iTunes review chart. If you guys are listening to this on Spotify, leave a review. That, you know, we put all this together. We work really hard on this. I've actually been, I've, I've been recording this podcast now for a couple hours. You guys don't know that, but I've been changing the baby, pick the baby up to carrying in groceries. And we just, we do a lot to make sure that this gets out to you guys. And it's really important to me. So if you could leave a review, that would be the, that would be amazing, amazing for us. And now we're going to get to the, your, my, your viewers. No, back up. Now we're going to get to you guys, the listeners questions. I'm going to be answering three of your questions every podcast, as long as there's questions in the queue. So here we go. We'll start with the first one. It comes from Nikki Ray 12 Hey, Tom, new follower here. I love the videos. I love the podcast. And I love the No Bad Dogs mantra and brand altogether. <clears throat> Thank you. I have a one-and-a-half-year-old Australian who is Australian, Aussie, so who is pretty leash-reactive, whines and jumps at dogs out of excitement. Since watching your videos, he's been a lot better on the prong. We have an e-collar, but I'm still learning before I slap it on. My question is actually about my eight-month-old Aussie. She's a darling and calm dog. How do you recommend training two dogs to make sure that the bad behavior doesn't rub off on her? Well, I think, first of all, think, th- thank you for watching, listening, and all that fun stuff, but I would, um, if the problem problematic dog is better, it can't ever rub off, period. 
So I would be working on the dog that you're working on. So if you have two dogs and you're worried about the younger dog getting some bad behaviors from the older dog, you should be really, and I know you are, tackling the older dog's problems. That way it doesn't rub off. And more importantly, understand that, and if you watch my videos and all the stuff that I do, you know that I walk dog owners through the process of what we do. And nine times out of 10, the dog owner created the problem. So learn from the mistakes because if you are the problem and the solution, like if you were the reason why your your other Aussie created to ha- have all these different things, then you just have to make sure that the new puppy doesn't get the same type of upbringing. That way these problems don't happen. So that's my answer. <clears throat> Thank you for listening. Next one comes from Caitlin Will from New York. Five-star review. Thank you for helping to reinforce training. <clears throat> I'm a new listener to your podcast and I absolutely love it. Thank you. I have a 15-month-old intact Bernese mountain dog named Ezra. I like that name. That's cool. I train locally. That I train locally. <clears throat> He's the first dog I've ever owned on my own and the first dog I've ever done any type of training with. I love listening to your podcast during our daily walks when I'm commuting, etc., because it helps me reinforce and remind me how to approach different issues and make me a better trainer. A question for you. My sisters both have Yorkshire Terriers from the same litter. They are the same age as Ezra and neutered. Winston is 6 pounds, Freddie is 12 pounds, Ezra loves these dogs, and they like him too. Winston currently lives with us, and Freddie is in the same town and visits frequently. Whenever a small dog is in our home, I put baby gates up. Though the dogs are all generally get along fine, I worry that Ezra will accidentally hurt one of them because he's 95 pounds. He thinks he's 6 pounds. They do get some interaction together, but only under supervision of multiple adults so we can separate if necessary. Ezra is quite good at leave it, even with distractions, but you never know. So I'm pretty particular about every, for everyone's safety. My question is, is there a future where all dogs can coexist without any gates at all? If yes, how do I work with my dog and convince my sister to work with their dogs if necessary to make this a reality? Well, it's a good question. I think everything that you're doing is definitely warranted. I think um, my concern would be the intact males. I know that Ezra's 15 months old and then the other dogs are also, are they intact or not? Let me go back. My sisters both have Yorkshire Terriers and the same litter. They're both the same ages as Ezra. So they're both 15 months old and they're neutered. Okay. never mind. Scratch that. Um, so the question of having a big dog play with a small dog, again, this is like who really, I can't generalize this answer as far. I mean, I, I can generalize this answer. I have to generalize this answer because every single big dog and little dog are entirely different things. Um, but I would just say that, uh, you're doing everything that you can right now in order for them to be successful. So I would just keep doing what you're doing. I mean, the bigger dogs, you know, can be docile and mindful of how big they are. Um, but also they sometimes, sometimes they can't. So you really just have to like, let them play it out and let them be dogs. I think once you notice, like maybe Ezra being very unmindful of his size, like throwing him, you know, rolling around on these dogs, like barrel rolling them. That's when you might want to say like, okay, maybe this is just not a good match, but if they're playing around great, I mean, just let them play and let them be dogs. I think that they're going to be absolutely fine just being dogs with each other. That that would be my advice to you. I think like you're doing everything that you need to do. Um, there's no real like training that you can do because the dog's just going to be naturally like, oh, you're small. I'm going to play with you. Like, I don't know. Just, just keep at it. Just keep watching it. 
see what happens. I I just, I wouldn't, I don't have anything in particular. I would just keep watching it. I mean, some bigger dogs are such docile ragdoll babies and they're literally rolling on the ground the whole time and the other dogs are like putting them into their place. So I would just keep doing what you're doing. I mean, it's totally a normal thing to be like, I don't know about this. Like, is everything going to be okay? I mean, just every, every big dog is different. Every little dog is different. So I would just allow them to figure one another out. And then if it gets a little too crazy and you get nervous, then you can just separate them. But until then, I would just let them play and be dogs if they're having a good time. Just, you know, be mindful of that. So collar. All right, next question. Husky and socks. Collar and harness training a sled dog. Five-star review. Thank you. Thank you so much for the vast array of resources and content you produce to help dog owners all over the world. A friend introduced me to your work as I was getting ready to adopt a puppy, and I'm so grateful. I was able to start immediately with proper training and conditioning, and she's doing so well. My question deals with training, both good walking manners on a collar and pulling in a harness. My puppy is an Alaskan Husky, and I'm very involved with dog mushing with friends who run a small kennel. I'm currently working on training good walking manners using a slip lead and teaching her not to pull or go wild on the leash during walks. But as she gets older, I plan to start training her to canny cross, which uh, which is like um, running in a sled team harness with other huskies. So it's like a cross-country thing with dogs. Do you have any tips or advice to teach the difference between going on well-mannered walk and pulling on the harness on a run? Is the difference she picked up naturally, or is there considerations in training techniques I have incorporated into training? Any advice would be greatly appreciated. Well, good question. I think, first of all, the equipment is going to be that thing. Like, that's it. The equipment, once she sees that equipment coming out, once the dog literally has that uh, has that uh, harness on or that slip leash on, and you say heel or you say mush, that's what's going to be the difference. And that's something I've been preaching for so long, guys. Like, I don't care what you use. I'm just, I'm just a guy with information working with thousands of dog owners and just giving you all the things that have worked. I'm like, I'm like a... I'm just, I try to be, I try to be an unbiased resource of information of, of things that work, right? That's my goal. And I think to answer your question, I already know for a fact, like my dog in particular, if she puts a harness on, she knows she's going to go do bite work and she gets excited. And the training is a little bit different under those circumstances, but none other time will she ever think like that. So I think the equipment and in the environment, will change how your dog acts because the it's going to be a conditioning thing like we talked about in this podcast. Harness comes out, gets put on, and you do a certain thing, the dog's going to go, when this is on, this is what I do. Slip leash gets put on, when this is on, this is what I do. So I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you watching. I appreciate all the support and the kind words, but I think everything you're doing right now is great. The only other thing I would add is maybe just put on a put on like a marker, like a yes, like, okay, mush, mush. This is what mush is. This is what heel is. And you're good. So next one, Britt Fry. Hi, Tom. I love your channel. I'm a vet tech who is always advocating for training when seeing patients at work and have recommended your podcast videos to clients. I have a question myself for my own dog. I've had Rover for six months and he's about a year old hound German shepherd mix. He's doing amazing with obedience and just started off leash training with all with with a professional behaviorist slash trainer. He is unsure of people in general, gets quite fearful when giving attention to strangers, when given attention by strangers. I do advocate for him and let people know that he's in training and needs needs to focus while thanking them for the considering while he we were out. Yeah, sorry. 
He is never vocal towards people or fixated. He instead tends to ignore them. However, in our home, he becomes almost territorial. My young nephew and my brother and his girlfriend came over one night and he was on the leash and prepped to meet him. He was on a leash and prepped to meet him. When we approach this... Wow, sorry guys. Let me slow down. He approached them to smell and then would back away and bark and growl, which I corrected him with the leash and prong collar. I did put him in his place and give him a downstay. He did he did do this, but consistently growled and would reposition himself like he was uncomfortable. Ultimately, I put him in the other room in his kennel. I know I set him up for failure in the circumstances, but how would you go about working on this? Well, thank you for the feedback, Britt, and the review. I would just say this that it's a lot of what we talked about in this podcast in general is it sounds like it's a well first of all it's a kid i don't know the context of how well your dog has been socialized to kids so there's that because uh, it sounds to me personally that there's there's variables so you gotta you gotta think about variables here okay is it the home because we don't do this outside so is this the home that's is that is that what's happening is it kids or is it both or is it a combination so ultimately to me, it seems like because your dog is so chill outside to everybody, it sounds like it might be just kids because if he's not around kids often or he's not exposed to kids often, that's a very common thing for dogs to be upset about or fearful of. And then, you know, maybe how you did it wasn't the best. So don't allow him to go up and sniff and then them reach out their hands and things like that. That's like the worst way you can meet a dog ever is letting the dog suspiciously going up, creeping up, and then holding out your hand like a steak. 50-50 chance you're going to get bit. And if you get bit, ultimately it is your fault. Dog's going to get blamed, but it is your fault. So I wouldn't let those things happen. I would create more neutrality. So before they come over next time, I would say, hey guys, let's go for a walk around the block and let the dog kind of get acclimated with these people first and just tell the kid and the people like, hey, just ignore him completely. So I think you just set him up for failure a little bit by... Having these people come in and say, hey, just hold out your hand. He's fine. Come on, buddy. Go up and see them. And he's like, nah, nah, I'm, I'm not okay with this. So I would just create more neutrality and not make it such a conflict between the between the people and the dog in the beginning and then have them ignore him and then come inside and then work on your place and things like that. But um, it's it could be that he just doesn't like kids or it could be just he's not good with people in the house. But in order to make that more successful is don't have don't give him so much freedom to, to make cho- bad choices. So... He goes up to these people and then they hold out their hand and it kind of conf- it confirms to him a little bit more that he's nervous and that's not what you want. So that's my recommendation is um, neutrality outside, have them completely ignore him, work on your obedience. And if you do everything right and you send him to a place, like just like we talked about in this podcast, you send him to his place and he's still like kind of grumbly, he just doesn't like him. And there's not much you could do about that. They can take the leash and go out and start working with him and things like that. I just don't know the extent. I mean, you're having your family over to like hang out. You're not having your family over to do a dog training session. So sometimes it's just easier. Like we just had somebody come in and, you know, Lakota's so excited. Her tail's just whack, 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 whack. So excited. Like, let me kiss your face. Let me see who you are. Let me smell you. And so that's just normal dog stuff, right? I'm not going to get mad at my dog for being a dog and being excited. I'm not going to yell at her for that, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to over, I'm going to go over this, you know, I'm going to go over her head and be like, Hey, go to your place and stay. I'm not going to say, leave this girl alone. Stop knocking over glasses. She doesn't want to kiss in the face. 
You don't have to sniff her feet. She has other dogs. Like, relax. Like, I'm not going to do all that stuff. It's a waste of time. I'm just going to say, Lakota, go to your touchdown. Done. That's it. So I hope that that helps. And I appreciate everyone for listening. I'm out of questions, which means anybody right now that's listening, literally anybody, go over to the iTunes review chart if you have a question. Leave your review and a question. I'm out, which means I'll answer yours next week. I appreciate you guys so much for listening. Really, you do. Um, Tell your friends about this podcast. I want to help as many people as I can. You guys love you. Thanks. Bye. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.